Today's reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 9, uh, verse 1 through chapter 10, verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And then that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Remember, and do not forget, how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here. For your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned. And I came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets, and I threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then... I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed, in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, 
so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and I burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust out of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. At Tibera also, and at Massah, and at Kibroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Gadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandments of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets, in the same writing as before, the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are, as the Lord commanded me. The people of Israel journeyed from Biroth Benayakan to Mosera. There Aaron died, and there he was buried. And his son Eleazar ministered as priest in his place. From there they journeyed to Gudgada, and from Gudgada to Jotpatha, a land with brooks of water. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. I myself stayed on the mountain, as at the first time, forty days and forty nights, and the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people so that they may go in and possess the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. This is the word of the Lord. What a text. Our text this morning is lengthy and with reason. 
the text follows a different pattern than what we probably have most Sundays in that we anticipate a text to begin at one point and build and build to a point closer towards the end where it sort of climaxes. Moses, however, is with the Israelites in their current setting where they are knocking at the front door, so to speak, of the promised land. And he's telling them that they're about to go in, gives them some warnings, but then he jumps back in time and he reminds them of much of their unfaithfulness, how they have fallen short of the glory of God, how they have not kept the word of the Lord. And by reminding them of that, he brings them back to that present state again and tells them of the goodness of the Lord. And so if you will bear with me this morning, we will follow the same process. But what I ultimately pray will be one of our major takeaways as a church this morning would be to see that despite our rebellion and despite our stubbornness towards God, which break relationship with him, he will be true to his promises. And he reminds us of that in John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. More than that, he's not only just to forgive us our sins, but he will also restore us, which is just an amazing thought. So without further ado, let us jump in. The first point this morning uh, is for verses one through six of chapter nine, God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. In our opening text, Moses is busy in the present tense addressing the people of Israel as they are preparing to enter the promised land. He reminds them of God's promises while at the same time issuing a stern warning. Consider with me what the Lord is saying to his people through Moses. You are to go in and dispossess nations to which I think some rebel probably in the crowd would have yelled out, and the more I thought about it, I realized I probably would have been that rebel, uh, saying, time out. Nations, with an S, we are a wandering nation without an S. That doesn't sound very wise, but Moses wasn't done. Moses said, nations greater and mightier than you. Time out again. That doesn't seem wise, Moses. I don't think this is possible. And again, Moses continues. Nations greater and mightier than you with great cities fortified up to heaven. At that point, I would have just said, all right, we're done. But again, Moses continues. And the nations that are greater and mightier than you that live in these great cities fortified up to heaven are a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim. And you know, and I've heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? And this reminds us, this is the very words of 10 of the 12 spies that were sent out ahead to go and look. And so Moses purposefully uses their words. The sons of Anak were a great people. Those 10, at least, definitely did not think anyone would be able to stand before 
the Anakim. The very clear point to Israel was that what you are about to do cannot be done. Those in front of whom you are about to stand, no one can stand in front of. Those whom you are about to dispossess, no one has ever dispossessed. The Anakim are only one of the nations you are about to dispossess, but really, you cannot dispossess great and mighty nations with cities fortified up to heaven, not in your own strength. So, I will do this, says the Lord. I will do this. He will do what cannot be done by any other means. And so I'd like to ask and invite you to consider what is your Anakim this morning? What situation is so big right now for you that it just seems debilitating? Maybe it's a work situation or a child that just does not seem to want to bend the knee. Maybe it's a family member or a spouse and there's an interpersonal relationship struggle and each time you come together and try to sort it out, you find yourself with a rift valley between the two of you and either one of you on either side, neither one willing to give up their hill. Whatever your situation is, if you feel like it's too big, I would say, amen, it might be too big, but we should not stop there. Don't stop at this seems impossible. Take the next step. Hear the words from this morning's text that reminds our souls that God is the one who will drive out before us all things that stand between us and him. He is the one accomplishing all things according to his will. He will surely do it. Now, neither I nor this morning's text is simply saying, sit back and do nothing. God will take care of this. God was not saying he was going to send some earthquake or disease amongst the people so that you can just sit back and watch. No, God was calling them to be obedient. He was calling them to do something. God wanted Israel to trust that God uh, will do what he is promised to do. This very impossible thing. God is inviting them to eagerly trust and depend on him. To use the words from last week's message, God was inviting them, and by extension, us, to anticipate God's faithfulness, sorry, God was inviting them, and by extension, us, to remember his faithfulness in the past, which would then give them hope to anticipate God's faithfulness in the future. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's faithfulness in the past gives us reason to anticipate his faithfulness in the future. If we had no record that God had been faithful in the past, we would be without hope that he will be faithful in the future. But we do have countless, countless stories of God's faithfulness to us where he has shown himself to be a covenant-keeping God. And because of that, we can have faith that he will do what he has promised to do. Therefore, our first point this morning is God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. And so far, Moses has helped Israel and us to see that God's covenant promises in these opening verses will be kept. Here is what God has promised to do, Israel. 
But knowing the hearts of the people, Israel also, uh, Moses also knew that Israel would be tempted to forget that it's God's faithfulness that, and that, that it is he who accomplishes and secures his covenant promises and not the other way around. In verses 4 through 7, Moses wants to make very certain that the Israelites are forewarned not to try and think that what God was about to do was because of any merit on their part. On the contrary, in a moment, Moses tells them of several times when they completely failed to trust God. They completely failed the test, and they were tempted to think that what has happened was their own doing. And so Moses sternly warns Israel by telling them exactly who will accomplish this impossible thing three times in only two verses. Read verses four and five with me. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations. And the third time, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he may also confirm the word that he, the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Church, there will be times when we pray and maybe fast and yearn and wait on the Lord for him to answer a particular prayer. And may we be reminded in those times when we have not yet seen the Lord come through that he can and will surely do all that he has promised to do. But there will also be times when God is gracious in answering our prayers in bringing to fruition that for which we have trusted him by giving us breakthrough. And he will prove himself faithful once again. And the warning for those times is to remember that God is the one who has done it. He is the one that is accomplishing and it's not because of our righteousness. And the reason why Moses is warning them, do not think that this is because of your righteousness is because it aims to take the glory from the one to whom it is due and ascribe it to ourselves. This is wicked thinking and a wicked response to the one who has been faithful. Wickedness is the very reason that God has said he will thrust out the nations before them. And by the way, they clearly did not heed this warning because they too would be driven out of the promised land for their wickedness down the line when the Lord thrust them into exile. The point is this, your and my contribution to what God accomplishes in our lives every day is not our righteousness, but rather our stubbornness and our rebellion. And here Moses jumps back in time to recount multiple instances of Israel's faithless dealings with their God, their stubborn and rebellious contributions to what God has been doing. Our first point has been God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. And so the second point simply becomes Israel forgot God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. Israel forgot. This next section is mostly a looking back and remembering how Israel has not been faithful to God. 
And so Moses starts us off in verse 7 by telling them, remember and do not forget. To which we want to say, amen. Remember and don't forget. Until we look at what he tells them to remember and not forget. Remember and do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Essentially, remember and do not forget your rebellion. Now, if God says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, why would he tell us to remember our sins? Because the only way to truly see and feel the weight of what God was about to do for Israel and what God does for you and me every day is to see it in light of, or rather maybe in spite of our rebellion and stubbornness. Our God is not a God who waits for us to somehow be righteous up to a point and then says, great, you've come this far, I will now take you the rest of the way. No, that is not how he deals with us. Rather, God, in spite of our open rebellion, faithlessness, forgetfulness of his goodness, while we are dead in our trespasses, Anson says that he will still accomplish his covenant promises. Christian, if we do not remember our former state in which we openly rebelled against and profaned the name of our creator, if we think that what we have been saved from are a few small sins, then the splendor and the majesty of the cross will also remain small and distant in our hearts and lives. It is right for us to think about and meditate on the cross. That is good. It is glorious. But doing so to the exclusion of the graveness of our sins in which we once walked will never bring about the fullness of joy and gratefulness and repentance that it should. Remembering that we were dead in our trespasses and sins magnifies the truths of the gospel and the truths of the cross all the more to our own hearts and to the world looking on. And so by way of helping our rebellious hearts not to forget but to remember our rebellion. Moses in verses 8 through 24 reminds the Israelites of various times where they have rebelled against God. Most notably, the golden calf, which would be from Exodus 32. In Moses' retelling of Israel's stubbornness and rebellion against God in the golden calf account, Moses tells that their provoking God to anger was so severe that he was ready to destroy you. Verse 8. He was ready to destroy you. Brothers and sisters, our sins are no small matter. They are so severe that God was now intending to do to Israel what he had planned to do to the Anakim, to utterly destroy them. And this is very significant because this all happened even while Moses was on the very mountain busy getting the covenant, the, the Ten Commandments on these tablets from the Lord. Essentially, after God had made a covenant with you, while Moses was on the mountain, busy receiving the very written confirmation of that covenant, you already sinned and broke that covenant. Therefore, Moses broke the tablets. And this is not a situation where Moses was sort of just so surprised at what happened that he accidentally dropped 
the covenant, the, the tablets. It says he took hold of them and he threw them to the ground and broke them. This was intentional. Israel, you've been wandering in the desert for nearly 40 years, hoping for the promised land that God would take us to because of his covenant promises. Here are the tablets confirming that covenant. But because of your wickedness, he throws them to the ground and you can just imagine them shattering in a thousand pieces. Because of your wickedness, relationship severed. Covenant, void. So broken was the relationship between God and his people that he even says to Moses, look at verse 12, arise, go down quickly from here. This is God speaking to Moses. For your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. God all but disowns them. This brings to mind when God said to Hosea, marry a wife of whoredom, and then in the naming of one of your sons, he said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Church, our sin severs and shatters to pieces relationships. The idea that our sin could drive God to the point of saying, you're not my people, and I, I'm not your God. That, that is gut-wrenching. It's unimaginable. But that is the consequences of our sin. It separates us from God. Lord, help us. We need your mercy. Some have said God clearly was not truly intending to destroy Israel. For one, he had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Plus, he relented at some point of his anger, so it was really just a threat. Oh, no, it wasn't. This was not a threat. What did Moses do immediately after shattering the tablets? Verse 18 and 19. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before. Forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure of the Lord that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And then for his involvement as the priest who made the golden calf, verse 20, and the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Do you think Moses would have laid prostrate before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights in fear of the anger and hot displeasure of the Lord if it had only been a threat? Romans 3.23 reminds us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 then says, for the wages of sin is death. Our sin deserves for all of God's righteous wrath to be poured out upon it. God is just in his very severe anger towards our rebellion, stubbornness, and our sin. And Moses knew that God was not just only wanting to destroy Israel, but if he did, nothing would remain of them. 
just like nothing remained of the, of the golden calf. Verse 21, Mo- Moses takes the golden calf, the physical representation of Israel's sin, and it says, then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and I burned it with fire, and I crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. Now, part of me wondered for a moment, that seems wasteful. Why didn't he just melt it down and then keep the gold for something else? But isn't that just like us? Let's change a bit here and there, but I'd like to hold on to my sin, kind of, or at least the things that my sin acquires for me. How can I, how can I tow this line? How can I stand on this side of the fence, theoretically in the right, but enjoy looking over the fence at all the things that I'm not allowed to have? Forbidden things. That is not a heart that is turned away to the one who stands on the other side behind us, calling us to himself. Moses had no time for their sin or any value the gold may have had. Moses removes the sinful thing and utterly destroys it. What Moses did to the calf here is symbolic for Israel of what would happen to them if God did finally decide to destroy them. It's at the same time also a command of what they're to do to their sinful desires and the nations that they're supposed to go in and dispossess. Utterly destroy them. Put it to death. Do not accommodate sin in any way. It will lead you to utter destruction. Now, this account of the golden calf recounted by Moses, you would think was enough to produce a contrite heart and spirit, repentance. As they stand on this precipice of entering the promised land and hear of God's promise to go before them as a consuming fire in light of their wickedness in making the golden calf, you would think it was enough. But as an extra measure, Moses in verses 22 and 23 mentions four more times episodes of Israel's sinful rebellious and stubborn dealings with God. Moses even adds another punch to the gut, so to speak, in verse 24. Remember, Moses has been with him for nearly 40 years. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. I mean, you just want to shout, oh, Israel, how many times can you fall? And then I think of my own sin, and I think, never mind. Brothers and sisters, our sin is no small matter. It severs relationship with God. It shatters relationships with one another. It deserves to be burned with fire and to be utterly destroyed by God's just wrath. Our sin gives God the just and righteous right to say, You are not my people, and I am not your God. Or, I will destroy you and blot out your name from under heaven. But, and this is in all caps, underlined, bold, but, that is not the reality for believers. Just as it is not what happened to Israel, because thanks be to God, he provided to Israel a mediator 
to appeal to God in spite of the fact that Israel forgot God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. And that brings us to the third point. God provides to show his faithfulness to his covenant promises. God provides to show his faithfulness to his covenant promises. After recounting the Israelites' wickedness, rebellion, their stubbornness, and after the Lord all but disowns his people in saying to Moses, your people whom you brought out of Egypt, how does Moses, God's sovereignly appointed mediator, respond? Verses 25 and 26. We're still in chapter 9. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said that he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand, Moses appeals to the Lord by reminding him that these are his people. And I would draw our attention specifically in verse 26 to the place where Moses said, God, this is your heritage. And if that were possible to remind God, by the way, Lord, they are your heritage. Christian, when is the last time that you considered the fact that you are God's heritage? Just as it would have done for the, Israels, for the Israelites, so also for us, this is supposed to be one of the weapons with which we fight the good fight for faith and which, with which we are to put sin to death in our lives. When we have had a bad day and feel discouraged, lacking in joy, when we struggle in our battle against a particular lingering sin, if we or someone close to us is ill or homeward bound and in the later stages of life, fight for faith, knowing that God has called to himself heritage. And as believers, we are it. What a hope. What a joy. What, what a glorious truth to put sin and its temptations to death by reminding our souls that we are God's heritage. And Moses does not only appeal to God on the basis of Israel being his heritage. Moses also intercedes for Israel by appealing to God for the sake of his glory and his name, saying, verse 27, remember your servants, those to whom God had made this promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and do not regard the stubbornness of this people or the wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. One author, when considering these verses, noted that even though God's people had the freedom to break their covenant with God, God did not have the ability to be unfaithful to his covenant promises. And Moses appeals to exactly that. In appealing to God's promises, Moses prays, and again, especially in response to verse 4, where the Lord has said, your people, whom you brought, he prays, again in verse 29, the same way he just did in verse 26. For they are your people, your heritage, and you brought them out by your great power and your outstretched arm. 
Essentially, Moses is saying, no, God, they're not my people. I didn't bring them out. They're your people, your heritage, and you brought them out by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Moses ascribes all the glory to God and thereby shows himself to be the mediator that God has appointed him to be, the mediator that God has provided because God then relents from his anger. He relents from his anger and he continues to provide for the sake of his faithfulness to his covenant promises. And now we turn to chapter 10. This is how we know that the Lord relented from his anger. Verses 1 and 2. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. Right. In the ark. After all but disowning the Israelites, after being ready to destroy them and make a new nation out of Moses, and after Moses' intercession as God's provided mediator, God provides a second set of tablets, a renewal of his covenant with his people. Those shattered tablets, which symbolized shattered relationship, now restored. God hears Moses' intercession and renews his covenant with his people. Church, can you, can you think of another time when God provided his own mediator and after that mediator had done what he was sent to do, God relented from his anger towards us and he sent his spirit in order to confirm a new covenant with his people. Moses was a great leader and a mediator sent by God. But hear what the writer of Hebrews says to us about God's ultimate mediator in Hebrews 3 verses 1 through 6. And really, you could read the whole of Hebrews 3. I've, res- I've kept myself to six verses. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The Lord provided a mediator for Israel, a renewal of the covenant in his provision of the second set of tablets. He even relented of his anger against Aaron. Uh, We read that Aaron died at a later time. God provided a replacement for Aaron in the form of his son Eleazar so that the priesthood would continue. We even see in verses eight and nine the provision of the Levites that would serve as priests Uh, for Israel, God has truly relented from his anger because of the intercession of his appointed mediator. And all of this only points us to Christ because God has ultimately and finally emptied his hot anger 
and wrath on Christ so that we who are his will have this appointed mediator, Jesus, for eternity to come. God's wrath has been satisfied in Christ so that if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will truly relent of his hot anger towards you so that we would be able to say with Israel, the Lord was unwilling to destroy you in verse 10. Brothers and sisters, is that not just the most glorious truth and hope for this life and the one to come? We fall short. We fall short every day of God's glory again and again and again. And God who would be justified to destroy us for our sins, our rebellion and our stubbornness says, I will provide a mediator so that I don't need to destroy you. And so that I would be able to renew my covenant with you. And in doing so, we have come full circle. We are right back with Moses and the Israelites in chapter 9, verse 1. Just as a reminder, 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Now hear it mirrored at the end of our text in chapter 10, verse 11. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people, so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God once again says to Israel, I am with you. And I will give you I will give to you the land I swore to your fathers to give to them. God has renewed his covenant, and they can therefore have complete and rock-solid faith in the fact that God will surely do all he has promised to their forefathers to do for them. Now, if this doesn't make you want to worship, then I'm not sure what will, because there is no more appropriate response to God keeping his covenant with us, even when we rebel against him time after time after time. He is the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. And worshiping him in faith and obedience for all he has done for us is a good and right response. So let's pray and sing. Lord, thank you. Thank you that despite our open rebellion and stubbornness and our wickedness towards you, you have provided a perfect mediator in Jesus Christ. Someone who could intercede for us not once or twice, but every single moment of every single day, interceding for us, those who profane you. And yet, because of that mediator who lived that perfect sinless life and died on the cross for our sins and was raised on the third day, we have a confidence. We have assurance that because you have been faithful to us in the past, it gives us reason to have hope and joy as we look forward, not only in what lies ahead of us still in this short life, but also what you would have for us in eternity to come when we get to be with you. 
We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.